0: The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This.
1: This. This
0: is is AV Nation. Nation. This is AV Nation. Greetings and welcome to this episode of AV Nation TV. I'm your host, David Danto, um, and I'm here with a couple of uh, stellar um, individuals that follow the technology industry and the collaboration and communications industry. Um, I would like them to introduce themselves. Steve, why don't you go first and uh, give us your name and tell everybody what you do.
2: Yeah, hi, Steve Koenig. I'm the Vice President of Research at Consumer Technology Association. David, it's great to be with you again. Thank you very much, Steve. And Carolina, your turn.
1: Carolina Milanese, I'm an analyst at Creative Strategies and the founder of the Heart Attack. Thank you for having me today.
0: Thank you very much both of you for joining me. So, you know, this is this is a year like no other. You know, you have to if if you don't laugh about it you'll cry. And I'm going to try and keep everything lighthearted, but you know, a global pandemic, you know, horrific, you know, illnesses and death across the globe. You know, we're 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 not going to focus on that cuz we're not health experts, but 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 we are, you know, following the technology space. And, and you know, this is the time of year that we would normally be sitting down at pre-CES events and, and listening to uh, Steve, you and your team, talk about trends and what's going on. And clearly the trends are gonna be impacted by, by this global situation in the short run and probably in the long run. Why don't you give us a, your, your perspective on where you think that's going, Steve?
2: Sure, well, well actually we've seen a historically strong demand for consumer technology throughout this season. And really, you know, that began at the headwaters of the crisis early this year. With the uh, sudden collision of home, work, and school, and households across America and really worldwide, to be honest, really endeavored to to cope with that situation. And from there, I think what we've w- witnessed in the business world has really been two words: digital transformation. And and this is this has been amazing to see how how retail has been transformed. Really, uh, a lot of different sectors across the economy. Uh, Digitally transforming in a variety of ways. I think retail obviously moving almost completely to online, and we, we've seen that. But but a lot of businesses and and the usual suspects of, of our daily lives these days, a lot of video calls, you know, like this one, webinars and so forth. And thank goodness we've had these digital tools. But that That quotient of demand has remained strong throughout the year and is actually spilling over into the holiday season. And we think that's just going to continue right on into 2021. Uh, And really, we're witnessing, they they call it the Great Reset, but technology is at the core of this. And we've seen some amazing innovation, just organic innovation. Uh, We've also seen a lot of technologies deployed for new use cases, again, to cope with the crisis. I mean, telemedicine is a great example of this and digital health overall. But new applications for AI, robotic process automation, natural language processing, obviously all of this happening in the cloud, that's what I mean when I'm talking about digital transformation. And that's, that's been in the, the corporate world and business space, but also under each and every American roof. And we've seen that with, with all the enthusiasm for smart home technologies and emerging categories like healthy home technologies, robotic vacuums, uh, smart air sanitizers and purifiers and so forth. So a lot of opportunity, again, spilling over into holiday and carrying forward into the new year. Has, has there been an impact with, with so many
0: people, you know, unfortunately, dealing with you know, unemployment issues? Has that, has that had a dent in the buying, or do we see that as not really being very impactful you know, for the majority of the, of the resellers?
2: Well, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, and, and certainly there's been no shortage of economic hardship. And there was a lot of debate and discussion when we had the first stimulus check and what that was gonna do to, to literally stimulate spending and so forth. And actually there was some interesting data from the Fed that showed that the majority of those dollars actually went to savings and paying down debt. Only about roughly say 20 to 30% went towards consumption. I think for tech, Certainly, there's a lot of economic hardship out there, but what we've seen is, is this dynamic of freed up discretionary income, less travel, less spending on, say, uh, apparel. There's not a lot of compelling reasons to buy a new suit, for example, these days. Uh, also less spending on fuel and, and a variety of other things that might be under normal circumstances. What we've seen is a lot of those dollars flowing into tech. People spending more time at home, looking around the house, like, what, what can we upgrade? Let's, up, let's add a display, you know, family movie night's great, but maybe not every night uh, around the flagship display. So let's get a couple of more TVs so people can watch different things, uh, obviously more laptops and all these things. But uh, as we're working, we're, we're at school, everybody's at home doing their thing and technology's at the center. So really it's that discretionary income that's been freed up that I think has where tech has really been the beneficiary of that other sectors too though across the economy have like home improvement uh, you know and and also appliance sales this is another sector that i think has benefited from that dynamic of freed up discretionary spending
0: you know a lot of people have taken their uh, their vacation planning and their vacation money and and put it into making home improvements and doing other things that are around so yeah i've seen a little bit of that as well carolina do you see an impact on the space go ahead i'm
1: sorry uh, no, I was going to say it's is interesting because this is uh, very similar trends both the, in the enterprise and in the consumer space where the initial concern of uh, lack of, of uh, uh, funds to uh, upgrade your PCs or your technology actually uh, didn't quite pan out in the way that people expected because of this uh, transferring of budget that you had because the inter- in uh, an enterprise context, if you think about the lack of travel, travel is usually the highest uh, spent within enterprise. Uh, and, and all that money has gone into something else. And budget for 2021 uh, is not going up for a lot of, of companies that are not planning to get people, you know, back on, on planes and, and traveling and uh, is the same in consumer think about uh, people that gave up uh, membership at the gym because you know that they, they they couldn't go for a long time because of lockdown, or they might have felt uh, unco- uncomfortable going back when the gym reopened, and and uh, you know that going and funding Peloton or other equipment that you're using within the home, and you make available not just uh, uh, you know to to the adults in in the uh, home, but to kids as well who don't have PE classes in the old
0: fashion way anymore yeah i can imagine, you know it certainly has has it's difficult with all the changes that i certainly agree with it's difficult to understand which ones will stick and which ones won't and i don't know if there's any research that either one of you have seen you know yes nobody's traveling now so the travel industry is decimated and we're all at home but you know companies that are looking at their bottom line that used to attend all these big conferences and didn't and didn't have an impact are they going to be as interested in spending the money to to, to exhibit in the future are, are they going to be as interested in sending as many people to these shows I mean these are a lot of unknowns that we don't know that are impacting the uh, the space I don't know if either of you have a comment about that we're really not talking about trade shows this time but uh, but that is something that we need to consider is to w- these dollars that have been shifted will they ever shift back
2: I, I certainly think that they will and I think the the irony in this this of this season uh, is that once uh, contagions contain the 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 crisis is over, I think the importance of in-person events, and this is everything from live concerts to trade shows, uh, really is stronger than ever before. I mean, what what we've proven in this season that we can get the job done, uh, and we've been leading kind of the hashtag screen life, just basically a daisy chain from one screen to the other. That's helped us maintain connections with... Business partners with family, we've gotten work done and that's been great, but I think there's a lot of pent up demand to get back out there, uh, really whether it's going to the movies again uh, or going to a concert or going to a, a trade show like CES uh, and countless others. So. That's what I think uh, is going to happen once contagions contained. But there are a number of behaviors on the consumer front that are also going to stay in place. And as I said before, this digital transformation is one thing, but also the pandemic is, is, they call it the great reset, it's reshaping commerce and culture in a variety of ways. And I think what that looks like from a consumer point of view is a number of these these new tricks that we've picked up, like with contactless delivery, as one example, curbside pickup, these are things that are going to remain in place. They're here now for health safety reasons, but they're going to stick around for convenience reasons because consumers really like convenience. Nobody wants to spend more time waiting in line or having problems at the, at the checkout counter. Uh, so I think that that's going to just become a baked in table stake strategy for retail is just one example moving forward. And then there, there's a host of other things that I think are going to remain in place, even as we engage and, and re-engage with old behaviors, old habits, we return to those things and we look forward to doing that, like, like hopping on a plane and, and taking a vacation or even just a business trip.
1: I tend to agree with Steve, but I do think that there's what is going to be different is the expectations that we have, both when we attend the show or when we engage with technology. I think that consumers and business people have come to expect different things from both technology and events. And so, you know, yes, I, I, I totally agree. We want the, um, you know, human-to-human connection, networking is one of the biggest reasons why we attend these big events. Um, and it's hard to replicate that on, on digital. But at the same time, you know, if I decide to attend, I want more than I wanted before, right? Because now I know that I don't have to. And I I doubt that all these events will only go back to being physical events, you know, there's going to be at least a transition period where you will have both physical and digital engagement. And it used to be like that before with keynotes and things like that, right? Uh, And on the consumer side, from a technology perspective, one of the biggest kind of set of questions that I got this year as we were you know, getting to the end of the year with all the launches of the really expensive smartphones is, well, will consumers still spend that kind of money? And my answer was, yes, but they want more. And so, you know, it's justifying more the investment that you're making and keeping brands at a higher um, standard as far as the value per money that I, I spend and invest in a technology. And that's not a bad thing.
2: Yeah, Caroline, you're, you're right, you're right. And uh, it's a great point. I, I think one of the, the permanent changes with, with all kinds of, of live events, whether again it's a concert or a trade show, is this, this combination of, of in-person or live and plus virtual. And ostensibly, that helps increase audience engagement uh, a, a lot more. Uh, but, to, but to your point, I think maybe for the physical side of of that event structure, we'll probably we won't see just a return back to kind of how it was before. Instead. Again, to your point, I think maybe we'll see a double down on networking activities, because that is, at the, at the end of the day, why a lot of people attend these events, certainly from a professional event standpoint, is to network. And as you said, these virtual events are dimensionally flat. There's not a lot of opportunity for that. Uh, but for, for other like concerts and, and other uh, events, live events out there, it's going to introduce new business models, new opportunities for monetization through sponsorships and so forth, because you have this, this duality now of, of yep. live and then virtual, and that's going to just remain in place as we move forward.
0: Well, let's actually Absolutely. use this as an opportunity to, to coin what we, what I believe is going to be the next big buzzword in our industry. Maybe if we look at you know, January 2022, you know, we're looking for the buzzwords. We, we've obviously entered the hybrid future hybrid is going to be a very big deal of what's going on. And and there are, there are a bunch of facets to that that we can talk about just for a couple of minutes. You know, this concept of hybrid working, you know, there, there have been so much, so many stigmas around the lazy remote worker over the course of the last five or ten years where, you know, f- famous names and famous companies, I don't need to list them, talking about bringing back the remote workers because they're so lazy. And now that we've all been forced to work remotely using these digital tools and tech generally broadband and the tool sets were ready to rise to the challenge, thank goodness, we've now learned that that was completely um, um, scapegoating. That, that the remote worker generally works longer, harder, and in fact is so focused that they're overdriving themselves. There's this fatigue concept entering in. So we've now unstigmatized that, and we've learned that the daily commute for an individual knowledge worker isn't necessary. If all I have to do is sit down at a desk and work and maybe have a call or a video chat with somebody and do individual work, there's no need for me to spend an hour going to the office, and there's no need for me to spend an hour coming back from the office. And then you know what? If that's the majority, of my work there's no need for me to even live near the office. Now I can choose to live you know, where, where where the grass is greener or where the schools are better or where I'm near family. As long as I'm near an airport and I can get to the office and the office will now be hybridized in the future. I think the 30-70 layout we've had of you know, functional offices where it was 70% workstations and offices and 30% rooms, that's going to flip completely. Where we're going to need more of these. The office is going to be for collaboration. So that's one of the hybrid natures that I think is going forward. This concept of of the of working at home, I think, is going to bring out a whole plethora of products that are meant for, you know, alright, and we were joking about it before, it's no longer going to be, a, you know, the iPad and the earbuds, you know, okay, I can be on a call, how many hours and days can I be holding up my tablet and be on a call when I say, wait a minute, you know, I'd like a big monitor, I'd like lighting, I'd like some things built for this, I think we're going to see a flood of products to grow that space so that the home office isn't somebody leaning across a kitchen table or struggling with something temporary, but it becomes a permanent place that actually Saves um, enterprises money; they don't have to bring people in to the office, they don't have to pay for air conditioning and uh, electricity and desk space and the rest of it. So, how do you guys see these emerging hybrid sectors uh, affecting both the technology space um, and culture? You know, as we move around.
2: Yeah, well, well, David, I mean, you you touched on a number of things, and and that's really getting into the details of what I was describing earlier about about uh, in this season we've seen just so many lat we're seeing so many changes that will create lasting dynamics uh, and impacts on on society business culture and so forth and in these periods of economic downturn and i think the health crisis has has really doubled down on this dynamic we we tend to see innovation really accelerate and and even bunch up Uh, and as that innovation is unleashed on the economy this is what ushers in new eras of technological change cultural change creates new business opportunities, and so forth. And that's what we're right in the thick of right now, uh, as we as we start to lean into to 2021 and hopefully put 2020 behind us. It's been a tough <laughs> year all the way around. Uh, this is what we're talking about, and this is what levels up economies. This is what levels up society. And again, we're witnessing this and and the the dynamic of work, the future of work. I mean, we're making a quantum leap here uh, in work culture, uh, and there's been a lot of thought put forward to this by, by some really smart people. But I think, yeah, you're going to see this, this dynamic of, of remote work. There's certainly going to be a remnant of this new American remote workforce that stays in place uh, into 2021 and, again, after the crisis is over. Uh, and that's probably going to become a really competitive uh, hiring dynamic for companies is this ability to offer remote work, and to your point, doesn't really matter where you are. Uh, and so businesses that are forward-thinking in that way are probably going to capture more of the talent pool. Uh, but that's just the beginning of just how the, a lot of these cultural changes are going to take place as we hopefully push out of this, this crisis in, in the new year.
1: I, I think that I, I agree with both of you that hybrid is going to be uh, the future because you know right now you have, oh yes, everybody's going to work from home oh, no, everybody's going to go back to the office. The reality is there are jobs that are hard to do from home and are better suited in an office and campus environment. And and so these people will return. But I think for everybody else, the office changes in respect to the office is not where I work. The office is where I go purposely to, you know, either collaborate with people or, for specific tasks for which I might need a lab or access to specific technology and so forth. Um, and the other part that I wrote a, a column for Fast Company on, um, on on this topic is, you know, remote work is not just about cost saving and um, you know flexibility and and employee engagement. It's about diversity and inclusion too. Because the idea that you can now hire in different locations, to your point, David, about you know, working from where the grass is greener or actually where the houses are not as expensive, um, (laughs) you know, is is important. It's important to be able not to continue to focus around you know Silicon Valley or Austin or the East Coast especially you know for technology uh, and be able to hire people where they're based so that they have a support network of you know relatives that can help with the children and so forth there are so many ramifications from a human perspective um, that remote work brings into the conversation that that is really interesting and then um, you know if you, you transition and think about education for a second and that's the other uh, aspect where hybrid could actually work. You know, what if you know it's not something as contagious as COVID, but is a simple you know influenza. And and my kid doesn't feel like it has to go to work because even if sorry to work to to um, school because even if they're home they can connect to the class and and you know keep up with uh, with what is being taught. I I think that that idea of uh, having access to the school when you know there's a uh, in, in Germany, it's, it's a fry when it's, too, you know, when it's too hot to go to school and they shut down, here can be snow day, whatever the case might be, um, that doesn't mean that you shut everything off. Because at the end of the day, schools and enterprises and consumer, we all invested in technology during these months, this is not going to be all thrown out. You know, uh, we're going to have to think about how we continue to use this technology that now we have in place.
0: And I think that also raises a very important corollary point in that it's not just the beefing up of the hybrid technologies that allow us to be remote from the remote side, from our homes, from where we happen to be. It's the beefing up of the technology in what the new offices will be and the new schools will be to enable this. Any office that you're building w- with meeting spaces that doesn't equip every space in every room with the ability to handle the, these remote workers and bring them into the conversation is going to be a problem. Same thing with classrooms. You know, you've got the price of some of the, the products, you know, like 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 the, the I don't want to pitch any company's particular product, but something like the Poly Studio USB, where, where you know, you. Stick it in the room in a student's desk and bingo you know you're, you've made that classroom given it the capability of and i'm sure there are other competitors products as well i don't want to get into that but but the idea is we now need to equip every classroom every meeting room away from home to be able to work with this larger group of people that will now be choosing to either be remote full time or choosing to be remote when they need to, as you point out, and I think that's going to change the dynamic in terms of the technology that's coming into the space, certainly more for home technology, and certainly more for office for education, uh, you know, for healthcare technology to enable both sides of this uh, digital uh, a transformation that's taken place. What's the joke that they said? Six years of digital transformation in six months, and you know who is the leader of your digital transformation? Your CIO, your CEO, or COVID? You know, it's it's these these are the jokes that we've been seeing <laughs> for the last few months, but they're true. You know, we've had a lot of digital transformation.
2: Well, it's true, David. And and one thing I just want to point out to to viewers is also just the importance of, of conne- connectivity to make all this stuff happen. Yes. So thank goodness. 5g uh, we've got those networks building out at the moment and uh, timing couldn't be couldn't be better for a new connectivity standard like 5g to, to really level up connectivity across the economy uh, thinking about digital transformation and automation and just the, the broadband requirements at home uh, and so forth that we've struggled with we've seen a, a growing demand for things like mesh networks in this season is one example but 5g, I think as those networks propagate, uh, it's right on time. Yeah. And and people yeah, I know, I and myself
0: it, included, I've had to add new routers into my home, you know, to pick up the capacity, you know, so that everybody had a solid connection. It's it's what we've all been doing to try and increase this. And hopefully 5G will help when we get it lot more widely rolled out. Carolina, you wanted to make a point?
1: I, I just wanted to uh, talk about how it's quite ironic that we're talking about a cellular technology coming to the aid of, you know, people that don't move around as much. But that was uh, the problem that we've had um, because a lot of people live in congested area when it comes to Wi-Fi. And so, you know, mesh network can help with that. But people also turn to uh, connected computers and using their phone as hotspots. And I do wonder if, you know, as we talk about this hybrid work continuing, if from from a corporate perspective, you will see a higher interest in equipping workers with uh, cellular-enabled PCs for two reasons. One, to guarantee connectivity and not be dependent on, you know, me in and screaming at my 12-year-old to stop gaming because I'm on on a a Zoom call, right, and I need the bandwidth. Um, But also because in that way, they feel that they can protect that asset better versus then not, you know, being sure of what kind of security I have on my home Wi-Fi. And, and this is one of the complexity that we've seen with working from home is that blurring of, you know, how far can IT get in my home before I feel that you're actually intruding in my personal space.
0: One of the things that I've talked about in some of my predictions that are coming out over the next couple of weeks is this idea of work-life balance giving way to what will then become, at least for knowledge workers, a work-life blend where we're not going to be trying to figure out when one starts and one ends. There really isn't a difference. So as long as you're taking care of yourself personally, you may be working different hours, you may be doing different things, you're gonna be measured by your output. So if you wanna go with a child to a school during a day or you wanna go shopping or go on an errand, as long as you're doing your work, and you're able to connect using remote tools, there's gonna be this big mesh of people balancing it. Again, it's not for everyone and it's not for every job, but I think we are definitely gonna see this blending of of all of our you know life where work becomes a part of who we are and what we do, not this you know cut off nine to five chunk that's going through it. Which again leads into what's my home technology versus my work technology versus my home space versus my workspace. It's going to be an interesting experiment. And I've, I've talked to a couple of people in the industry that we, we say we would lo- if if there wasn't so much death involved and so much pain, we'd love to have seen this as a social experiment. But uh, unfortunately, you know we're living through it as we do it, and we'll look back I think in five years. Um, and realize the tremendous revolution we went through then. It's kind of hard to grasp how big it is when you're living through it. But you know, in retrospect, hopefully we'll get to that point. So, um, so anyway, one one quick I'm, question. I'm smiling okay. because
1: I should have patented the life blend because I've been talking about it for the past two years and more from a um, I guess from a, a woman in tech perspective, where um, I think the idea and also you know my, my my previous life at Gartner, and and my passion for consumer within an enterprise environment has always got me to think about blend versus balance. Because balance is about fight, right? It's a fight between two things that you're trying to find equilibrium. And as a woman in tech, that idea was dead to me about 10 years ago because there's no balance, (laughs) especially when you have children. But blend uh, changes the dynamic of how you think about the tools you're using and the role that work and and life plays, right? And you're the same human being whether you're at home or you're in the office. And to your point, David, I think that what COVID has done is that they made us the same person because everything collided into one place. But the reality was that it was like this before. Is just that a lot of people were still striving for that balance and creating more friction than not trying to create a blend.
0: Totally agree. I'll have to send you the royalty checks after my article comes out. That that's a- <laughs> That's, that's a great idea. And and the interesting thing is, you know, if you think back to collaboration, like what we're doing now, uh, doing video, whether it's live, like we're recording it, or just in a conversation, you know, having a pet jump up on your desk or having a child join you, you know, we've made jokes about how difficult or how bad that was, anathema, and now we love it. And now it humanizes the experience yeah. because we're not getting that. We're not generally at an office. So we want to see your kids and we want to see your pets and we want to understand what's going on. So uh, so one more tech question before we go before we go into. The uh, the the pivot, and I want to talk a little bit about CES. But I do want to call out, you know, the difficulty we're dealing with, you know, globally with this concept of supply chain. And I'll ask you, Steve, if you see, you know, any of that impacting in your research. I know that things are harder to get because they're taking longer to make. I know that things are harder to get because even if they're made, they're needed faster and we don't <laughs> we don't have the capacity to ship. So things are being shipped air freight and they're more expensive. I mean, have you seen that as, as, as an impact or an overall drag on where we're going to be in technology and, you know, at the holiday season and in the first quarter of next year, will there be shortages or, or, or what, what has your research shown?
2: Yeah, well, actually, the the majority of disruption uh, from a supply chain perspective happened really at the headwaters of the crisis back in that that. February, March timeframe when, when lots of uh, factories and suppliers were, were shutting down around the world, not just in Asia. But since then, what we're hearing from members is that I think a lot of those issues have been ironed out and really the supply chain has largely recovered. Now, that's not to say that there haven't been spot shortages of components. And a lot of our members, especially uh, SMEs uh, in the manufacturing space, have have gone so far as to make spot buys on different components to to hedge against future disruption. But there's uh, actually with with that that major disruption at the beginning of the year, that's that's uh, triggered a lot of thought on kind of how to re-engineer supply chain, a lot of businesses using just in time strategies and, and of course that that just did not work and, and that really exposed, I think, a lot of vulnerabilities. So what we've been seeing through the lens of our research when we talk to members is that a lot of, uh, and again, this is particularly true around SMEs, trying to, to, to shorten the supply chain. They're, they're speaking and, and talking with their suppliers, uh, manuf- uh, factories and so forth, all the stakeholders, in other words, of the supply chain a lot more frequently than they used to. I think there was somewhat of a fire and forget or just kind of trust and maybe verify uh, in the past. Now that's not, not, not it at all. There's, there's more uh, conversations happening up and down acro- uh, across the, the supply chain. The other thing we're seeing is a lot more data sharing. Uh, so everybody's singing from the same hymnal. Uh, they're, they're sharing data. They're, they're basically working from a single source of truth. And another thing that's starting to happen relative to supply chain is stress testing. And so here, industry is taking a page from the, the the banking industry in terms of stress tests on looking at different nodes in supply chain, time time to recover if this node goes down, uh, and then time to survive. So if something, if the disruption happens, you know, what's the maximum amount of time that we can fulfill demand before we we run out of product or components or whatnot? And clearly, if you're time to recover uh, for a node is greater than your time to survive, then you've got a problem, you need a backup plan. So that's just a window into some of the thought and strategies that are currently working into and in reengineering supply chains. And what we're hearing, again, is really a lot of these things have been ironed out. Now, that's not to say that, that uncertainty doesn't exist. It, it, of course it does, but I think, I think generally, though, because there, we're seeing more conversations, there's more data sharing, I think that the impact of potential future disruptions would be a little less. You know, That's barring a, a complete global shutdown like we saw earlier this year happening again. So I think supply chain is looking good.
1: Okay. I think one, one uh, point that helped a little was um, um, uh, with, I guess is trying to find a silver lining in all of this, was the fact that diversification from a supply chain perspective started happening before COVID because of the US-China uh, economic and um, um, kind of political uh, tension. And so you had seen uh, vendors in the hardware side uh, trying to diversify their supply chain and moving outside of china and definitely not relying everything in, in on one country specifically um, and that helped a little bit right um as well that the fact that although china shut down first uh, people weren't entirely dependent on it
2: okay
1: all right so you guys think it's in okay sorry Steve. i'm sorry
2: i was just gonna i was just gonna corroborate what what carolina was talking about you know that's right i mean the the, the tariffs that we saw here uh, in, in this country, relative to China and so forth, that that was really uh, the the trigger point for a lot of brands, you know, looking to, to diversify sourcing and so forth. There were notions of uh, reshoring uh, and so forth. We haven't really seen that happen in abundance. And and what our members are telling us is that Asia, in general, uh, still is a, is a critical uh, manufacturing center, and a lot of things that need to get done can only be done there in, in yeah. a number of reasons, uh, for a poor number of reasons. But yes, it's true, the pieces are moving, but but generally people are looking to shorten things while they diversify and, and stay in better touch with all the stakeholders across the supply chain. Yep. Okay, so you
0: guys don't see it as, uh, as difficult as I do. That's good news. I'm glad to hear that. Um, let me pivot now and, and talk about the calendar. Um, it's November. Um, right around the next week or two, I would be seeing Steve, you or your team presenting CES Unveiled, you know, at uh, at, a, at a small uh, um, venue in New York City, and I would be uh, moaning and complaining about how a, a thirty-dollar Las Vegas hotel room is being charged, you know, six hundred dollars a night for my reservation and uh, uh, at CES and planning my trip and figuring out who I'm going to see and you know what press events I'm going to, and none of that's happening this year. That that had to be a difficult decision for uh, the the CTA to to look at this and say, look, you know, even though we've done this so many years, so much time with so much success, and and it's such a big part of what we do, we've got to do it differently this year. Can you give us any kind of insight without revealing anything you shouldn't about what went into that decision? And, and, And then we'll talk about what it's going to be like this year?
2: Sure, thanks, David. Yeah, it, I mean, clearly was a very difficult decision to go all digital with CES 2021, but, it was certainly the right decision i mean we, we made that decision towards the end of the summer uh, and that's when we hadn't seen a lot of these infection rates rise but uh, just clearly it just was not feasible to to gather the magnitude of industry folk from around the world like we do each and every year in a normal season at ces these days so Uh, we're we're encouraged by the news this week uh about the the vaccine and and we are planning for a physical event in 2022 but 2021 yes will be all digital and let's face it i mean the the technology that we've been talking about that's helped us stay productive uh stay in school uh, and connect with family and friends i mean let that same innovation really helped us reimagine ces 2021 and microsoft is our partner uh, we had a press release about that a while ago. Fantastic. And, and so cool to have Microsoft back in the mix in a very, very big way. I mean, you guys have been attending CES for years and years. So you remember the Bill Gates keynotes and, and Microsoft had their booth on the floor. And you know, things changed over the years. But but for CES 2021 and down the line, Microsoft is our partner. We're delighted to, to have them. And they're going to be supporting a lot of the, the platform elements, obviously the cloud elements and, and other support. But CES 2021, even though it's all digital, will still bring the typical uh, value that it does in terms of connecting exhibitors, customers, thought leaders, media from around the world. Uh, I like to think of it as the World Cup uh, of innovation. And I think because it's all digital, the irony is that we may see attendance of CES 2021 outstrip any previous physical show that we've had because when you can attend online, I mean, you're given a front row seat to keynotes, and thats we know that's not always the case. Uh, at at My feet community. hurt just
0: hearing about standing online.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, so you're going to have a front row seat to a lot of things uh, and access thereof uh, more when it comes to different brands and the innovations that you're uh, going to be able to see uh, and connect with those exhibitors and brands. So I think it's going to be an amazing event, and I, I'm so looking forward to it. I don't know if you are going to
1: agree with me, Steve, but I also think that from a timing perspective, um, one of the changes that I've seen over the last, I would say two to three years at CES, is that we're talking about technologies just because of a technology curve that are going to take longer um, to, it's not, you know, I'm coming to CES in January to see what's going to be in the store in June, right? Some of the technology, uh, curves that are longer and so a lot of it now SES is about discussion is about view of what is to come in the next one, five years, 10 years. And so in, in a way is easier to do that kind of event digitally than not if I really was using, you know, CES to come and see the computer as what is going to be on Best Buy, you know, shelf three months down the line.
2: <laughs> yeah, Carolina, I'm so glad you noticed, and you're exactly correct, spot on. Uh, it's it's much more than just a, a gadget show. I think uh, a long time ago CES shed that mantle of just a gadget show. Of course, there's still hardware there in abundance, software, apps, a lot of content, services. But you're correct. There's also an abundance of discussion from global leaders. We've had so many different ministers, government ministers, and officials from around the world participate in CES, uh, not to mention just the the industry leaders uh, vis-a-vis keynotes and, and other super sessions that we've had. A broader discussion on the impact of technology, how technology is helping solve some of the biggest problems our world faces. Uh, whether it's hunger, uh, whether it's climate change, a, a lot of these issues, technology is uh, is really at the vanguard or the salient for for solutions to these big problems. And so it's been a fantastic forum to discuss this. And yes, I I can almost guarantee you that there'll be a lot more of that with the all digital CES 2021. And and again, in addition to the usual suspects and conversations about new big screen TVs that, that, that just stun and amaze, and then a lot of other innovations that we've seen through this season that are going to carry on and pay dividends. But also from a trends perspective, you're also right in that a lot of these are not just one once a year or, or a 12-month trend. These are, these are technology trends that play out over a long time series. And we've seen this, haven't we, time and time again. I mean, one, one example I often point to is, is XR technology, you know, AR and VR. We've been talking about these things for a long time. And one of the things that CES is really good at is of course displaying organic innovation, but also displaying existing technologies that are being deployed for new use cases. And and you put these two things together and it's a, a hugely exciting event. It sets the pace right at the beginning of the year. It's what hundreds of thousands of people around the world look forward to, and uh, there's so much coverage in media, it takes probably about a month to absorb it all, uh, even when you attend. So it's going to be a fantastic event coming up soon so, in January.
0: I, I understand how Well, nobody understands, but I, I, can, I can envision how it will be attending terrific conversations and terrific presentations remotely. How how do I envision what it will be like cruising up and down the halls and, and, and seeing what various vendors are doing? Are you working on some type of a digital avatar platform or something like that with your Microsoft partner that will let people sort of walk around and explore?
2: That's something to my knowledge that we're not doing in fact. I think we're really focusing more on the, the, the substance and, and the, the content There'll be mechanisms uh, that we're working with Microsoft on that will allow attendees and, and certainly media to engage with different brands, and that's what I meant by having really that front row seat. So in some ways, it's going to be even better. We've, we've all known what it's like trying You go to, to a, a brand's booth at the show, and you're like, okay, can, can I talk to somebody about this? And they're like, oh, well, <laughs> he's in a meeting, or he's doing this, and, and so forth. So hopefully, it will be even easier to get answers. To connect directly with brands, uh, I think it's going to be a, a really good thing. And again, I think this is also going to remain a fixture as we move forward. Uh, again, our plans for 2022 are for a physical event in Las Vegas that will be paired with a virtual event uh, in case people can't attend or that's their preference.
0: Okay. That's, that's great. And you know, you and I have had a couple of conversations over the years about this idea of how much physical floor space. Um, in Las Vegas and in a conference center, is being taken up by exhibitors with concepts. You know, you'd have, you know, two football field-sized displays about somebody that's talking about something that you can't really actually touch, and it becomes you know, it's, it's unwieldy. There, There's there's this dichotomy of of what's a what's a product show and what's a concept show, and it's kind of hard to separate the two. Has there been any conversation around, you know, using this as a stepping stone to perhaps get a little bit more differentiation between products and concepts going forward so it's easier to consume both um, instead of having them in each other's face?
2: Well, actually, I think a lot of people endorse that differentiation, uh, and so that's what really constitutes the the rich tapestry of, of a technology narrative that we see each and every year at CES I mean there are some big statements <laughs> at, at CES and then there are some very small boos and like you know th- this is our product uh, and we like I said before we still see an l- awful lot of hardware I mean hardware is still I think kind of the, the anchor point of the show but then we also have uh, more conceptual things a, a lot of tech today let's face it is a, a thinking about hardware and devices, the collection of sensors and uh, some processors, uh, and then beyond that, it's mostly software-defined. Uh, so having said that, there's, there's just a lot of hardware innovation, but there's also a lot of, of bigger ideas. I mean, take Smart Cities, for example. Uh, there's, there's a lot of different moving parts within that, but CES is able to convey uh, a lot of these topics, the importance of tech and brand marketing. Uh, as another as another angle. Uh, and And that's why we're seeing so many different brands. We like to say that every company is a technology company these days. Uh, and it's really true because every brand is leveraging technology in one way or another, where it's marketing or actually engineering products themselves, brands like L'Oreal is one example. Uh, or John Deere, another fantastic exhibitor in re- recent years, uh, technology is spreading ag- out across the, the broader economy and is touching every facet of the economy. So I think, therefore, it's only organic and natural that we have that kind of, I'll, I'll use your word again, hybrid, uh, of, a lot of a lot of gadgets and stuff uh, and then a lot of more conceptual type things that are, that are really thought-provoking and are addressing some of the world's biggest problems.
0: Well, I'll, I'll agree with 99% of what you say, although I'll still have a have a, have a little bit of a be taken aback by an automotive manufacturer that builds a booth so big that they build a kitchen into it. Um, yet there's no cars in the booth. So I I, I think that that's that's. You know, I don't know if that's the statement that I would be making, and I don't know if that's the statement that any company is going to be making post-COVID. But, but for now, I find you know that just kind of gets in the way of me seeing things because I'm physically trying to get past the kitchen and the four-bedroom suite and the big conceptual booth. But uh, you,
1: so anyway, you that's have made the decision not to go to the show floor. That's what I did last year. Um, I I did not make it to the show floor because the the value and the number of these smaller uh, vendors that are at the Sens and the International Expo is just so great. Obviously, we're very privileged, right? We, we get pre-briefed by all the large brands that tend to spend you know, their money in the, in the larger space of the show floor. And then you have all these smaller players that don't have that kind of uh, uh, you know, budget. Uh, but have extremely interesting concepts and products. And that's where I spent all of my time last year. And, you know, it's been kind of transitioning the year before. I think I, I spent probably about a couple of hours uh, at a convention center. And, uh, um, you know, I spent a lot of time talking to European uh, companies just because of my heritage. Um, and, you know, they have this little tiny booth and a lot of... Um, sure brand share mind share and hope
0: (laughs) well we should um you know you've read i'm sure you've seen the 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 books about theme parks that give you strategies for attending the theme parks we should actually produce a book about the strategies for attending ces you know i've (laughs) i've been i've been for for more than a dozen years now maybe close to 20 at this point um and and you know i would say probably about 10 years ago i gave up on the concept of seeing the show which killed me You know, it it literally, it it pained me to know that I would never see all of it. But unless I'm bringing a team of 10 or 20 or 30 people and we're dividing it up, we're never going to see the whole thing. So, yes, I do get most of my knowledge from the press briefings before the show even opens um, and Steve's briefing. But I find the the need to wander around the convention center and the sands is critical and i'll give you one small example of that um a year ago literally a year ago we were looking at you know large manufacturers um audio systems wireless earbuds um in the neighborhood of you know two hundred dollars each and three hundred dollars each and at some of these small booths i was seeing examples of thirty dollar twenty dollar what true wireless earbuds that sounded good and what i took away from that was this is a market whose pricing is collapsing there's, yep. there's, there's price value for the brand name, but there isn't price value for the product. And just like anything else I learned, or most anything else I learned at CES, within 12 to 18 months, you see that hit the market. And just today on, on, on Walmart's Black Friday page, you're seeing true wireless earbuds for $14. Um, and other ones for just under $25. So I wouldn't have figured out that trend unless I saw 14, 15 little companies with their products and put it together in my mind. But we all do the shows differently, and and hopefully together we aggregate an image of what's going on. Steve, you must be chuckling because that's exactly what you want, right?
2: (laughs) I am chuckling, and that is exactly what we want, yes.
0: There you go, so I'll give, I'll give each of you last thoughts and then we can wrap up this conversation for today. Last thoughts on CES, on technology, on hybrid, on where we are. Carolina, why don't you go first I'll let Steve go first last time.
1: I think one big takeaway for me that I, I hope will come through because of a hybrid world is one that enterprises are going to start treating employees as consumers. Uh, and what I mean by that is that they're going to start to care about experience, um, not just about, you know, what I give you to work, but I, I want to give you something that makes it easier for you to get the job done. And um, provide
0: some choice, right? And let, uh, let, let Providing
1: choice, have... paying attention to uh, ease of use and quality and all of these beautiful things that from a consumer brand perspective you care about. Um, I think that that hybrid model will also kind of force that um, to happen because in the home I will have choices. And, you know, if you're thinking about a mic, a, a, even a headset, right, if, if you have someone that is pitching a, an enterprise headset, well, you need to really have to convince me what the value of that enterprise headset is versus, you know, AirPods as an example so that idea of you know um, style and and you started to see that at, not to just mention Polly but you know in in the new speaker lineup that the that Polly just introduced a couple of weeks ago the fabric the attention to the design because these things are now in my home not just in the office and so I want that so I think that that blend that we were talking about from it from a user perspective also will happen on the product side. From a from a um, event perspective, what I'm hoping is um, that to to Steve's point earlier about attendance is that these events will be broader and will um, help more people, um, you know, get the knowledge and and uh, um, get. Uh, Familiar with technology. Um, so, a little bit of an equalizer, if you like, uh, versus only the people that could afford to, you know, fly and pay $600 for a hotel in Vegas. Um, you know, and, and I think that's interesting and not forget as well that digital events allow you to reach people that speak different languages as well, right? So, um, having uh, translations for keynotes and things like that—that that, yes, happen to some extent live. But you know, all of this is going to be so much easier for so many people, and and I think that's just a, a good thing all around.
0: Terrific, great thoughts, carly and I agree with all of them. Thank you. Now, Steve, I want to get your closing thoughts as well. But before I do that, one question that I thought that I should ask you, um, and I think it's a fair question. You know, if you don't want to answer, you want to punt to later, that's fine. But <laughs> But um, do you think that this home office, that this remote worker segment could clearly be a a segment that emerges as one of the key pieces of CES 2022? Is this something you guys are kind of keeping an eye on?
2: Absolutely, we're keeping an eye on it. And uh, I think more broadly, uh, the whole idea of Soho, which was a phenomenon back in the 90s when we had desktop printing and and, and the first – Home routers and, and stuff showed up at, at CompUSA. If you if you remember that retailer, uh, I mean we're seeing a renaissance in, in Soho right now. And and clearly, uh, you said it before, David, that there's going to be a lot of opportunity here. We're seeing that unfold now. CES is no doubt going to bring even more innovation and opportunity. And just just describe how that change is going to manifest into the new year. Okay,
0: so what are your that's great. I appreciate that, and I and I I know an expert or a couple of them who might want to be involved in helping you guys get that track going next year. Um, so uh, so what are your closing thoughts on this discussion about where we are in technology and the hybrid world and and uh, CES uh, virtual coming up in 2022 later on? Give you the last word.
2: Well, thanks. Yeah. Well, let me just close with an invitation to CES 2021. Registration begins on December 1st. So pretty quickly. Now, so just mark your calendars to go and register for CES 2021 on December 1st, uh, and you can get that done. Uh, and then, I mean, like we've established on this, this uh, discussion today, uh, this webinar, I mean, just so much innovation, digital transformation, just such a, a historically high level of demand for technology all through this season. It's carrying over into the holiday season now, it's going to spill over into 2021. And where can we go to find out what's next? Well, it's CES 21, clearly, and and that's that's going to be early in the year. Right, uh, January 11th through 14th uh, is when CES will take place. So it's about. A- I
0: love the later
2: date. I love. Please talk yeah. to
0: uh, to to Karen and see if we can make that stick going forward. So it's a little further away from New Year's. But go ahead. I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt.
2: No, well, that's that's fine. Yeah, it does take a little bit of the, the pressure off, doesn't it? But uh, 11th through 14th are, uh, are the show dates. Uh, and so, yeah, I just want to welcome everybody uh, and invite them to register on December 1st for CES 2021, and we'll see you there.
0: Carolina, again, thank you. How would people get in touch with you if they want to find out more about you and what you do?
1: The easiest way uh, is to find me on Twitter. I'm at Caro, C-A-R-O underscore Milanese, M-I-L-A-N-E-S-I. If you get me there, you can get me everywhere.
0: Carolina, thank you very much. And Steve, if somebody wants to find out more about you or get in touch with you or the CTA, how would they go about doing that?
2: Sure. Well, first, if you'd like to connect with our thinking at CTA Research, you can do that at cta.tech, that's T-E-C-H, slash research, so cta.tech, slash research. And if you'd like to connect with me personally, my email address is just s.koenig at Tech. I look forward to hearing from you.
0: Carolina, Steve, thank you very much. This is a great conversation. Uh, so for AV Nation TV and for the IMCCA, I'm David Danto. You guys know you can Google me. I have a million emails all over the place. And I look forward to speaking with you on the next episode. Thanks very much.